Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, and this is another episode of The Breakdown. This is where we try to take some of the difficult issues of the day that's out there in the media being talked about, that people all nod their heads and go, yes, I understand, when quietly in their hearts they're thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about. We take some of the tough issues of the day and try to be able to simplify them. Last July, I did a podcast on trade, and during that, we kind of set this up, and it was kind of the big issue at that time, and it's amazing now, months and months later, it is still the big issue uh, to talk about trade. Uh, So we're going to spend just a couple of minutes talking about international trade policy, why this matters, and what some of these numbers like 232 and 301s and uh, exclusion processes and all this kind of stuff actually means. Uh, I'm joined today with Adam Ferris, who is a long-term member of our uh, staff here, who works on foreign policy, works on trade. Uh, He and I have traveled multiple places around the world together, and he does a ton of research is a uh, War College graduate and is a intense researcher on all things foreign policy. Uh, so glad you're joining us. Uh, Adam's going to do this whole thing in another language and just translate it. You okay with that, Adam? <laughs> I wish I could yeah. do that, but <laughs> Which, glad to be here. I, I wish as many countries as we've been in together, we each of us knew every language in every different country uh, on the issues. Uh, when we talk about trade issues, though, we're, we talk about something that's actually Oklahoma-driven on it. Uh, and I think a lot of Oklahomans don't realize just how much trade there really is going out of Oklahoma. Uh, 26% of our exports, our number one market going out of Oklahoma is Canada. Uh, We have a lot of products made in Oklahoma that are shipped to Canada. Our number two export market is Mexico. Uh, We spend 13% of our exports are heading straight to Mexico. Uh, We also send a lot to China, uh, quite frankly. Uh, both exports and imports uh, coming in and out from China. Uh, So we're both a customer of theirs and they're a customer of ours. So we're producing products in Oklahoma that is not only going around the world, it being used in Oklahoma going around the world, but also the world is producing parts and pieces of things that we finish in Oklahoma, uh, but different parts or different aspects of that or the raw materials are actually manufactured somewhere else. That's right. And a lot of those imports that we take in, especially from Canada and Mexico, Uh, contribute to Oklahoma's manufacturing industry, jobs in the manufacturing sector. All of those imports uh, at some point do contribute to the exports out of our state as well. So, yeah, there are a lot of folks that work in Oklahoma that don't realize, I I guess people outside their facility don't realize how much of that is really international in focus because we think that's an Oklahoma job, but you realize the part that they're attaching to that actually came from a different place or maybe the steel or aluminum came from a different place, or maybe they work on batteries and realize the lithium uh, that's in that battery came from another country. Or folks that are producing cotton uh, realize that, yeah, that cotton's being used here in the shirt, uh, but it's also being shipped all over the world, and certainly our wheat is shipped all over the world as well. Uh, so there's a lot of those connections that we're trying to just be able to make sure that we, we keep going. So let me, let me break this down a little bit farther. Not only all the international trade that we have, but we, we hear a lot on the news, two different numbers. 232 and 301. And I had a lot of folks just kind of nod their head like, yeah, I know what that means. But I know in their heart, they're thinking, I have no idea what that actually means. So let's talk about steel and aluminum tariffs. Over a year ago now, the president jumped out and said, I'm going to do a 232 tariff on steel and aluminum. 
232 actually comes from an aspect in the law, uh, and that one little piece in the law from a 1962 act called the Trade Expansion Act. Yep, and that was Section 232 of that act, of the, act. the 232 tariffs. Yep, yeah, yeah. so th- you hear that number get thrown around. That's an aspect in the law that most folks have never read, the 1962 Trade Expansion Act, and to be able to know that's from Section 232 of that. But it gives the president the ability to be able to make a decision saying if something impairs our national security, then he can step in and to be able to do a tariff on a product if it's an imported product and it affects national security. Now, when it was written in 1962, obviously it's coming out of the Korean War. We're, we're uh, you know we're not that really that far from World War II at that point. A couple of decades past World War II, and, and the thought is, if we're going to do any kind of tariffs or issues to be able to protect the industry, we've got to make sure that we can protect our national security. That makes sense in that environment. Now we're very multinational. Uh, country uh, that does a lot of trade in a lot of places, the assumption is for national security is if it's not needed for national defense, it's not needed for that. Well, President Trump has actually defined it broader. He said, if we ever get into a war, we've got to make sure that we can produce our own steel. We've got to make sure for our consumer products as well as for our industrial products or for our war uh, or our war fighting. So he said it's essential that we have quality steel and aluminum manufacturing in the United States. Well, we, we can have an argument one way or the other about that, but the push is he's pushing out to say, I'm going to apply these emergency national security tariffs on these countries on steel and aluminum. And what he said at the very beginning was they're putting high tariffs on us on other products. I'm going to put high tariffs on them and their steel and aluminum and make them come to the table and actually negotiate. Yep. And a lot of your focus, Senator, as well, has been, I think, in communicating to the administration that there are some of those downstream effects of if you put a tariff on you know, raw steel coming into the United States, how does that affect an energy company in Oklahoma that uses that steel in some of their products or, as we talked about earlier, some of the manufacturing industries that will import raw steel and aluminum, turn that into something, and then actually try to export that somewhere else? Right. Or if someone takes that steel aluminum that's raw steel and aluminum and they produce it into a product and ship it in, that's no longer just steel and aluminum. That's just a product coming in. Uh, so the big challenge is if American companies are buying raw steel and making, a, let's say, a washing machine uh, with that steel, and they're making that in the United States, we're paying the tariff on the steel coming in, and it makes our products more expensive. If somebody else took that same steel, they made it into a washing machine, and then shipped the washing machine in, it's actually cheaper to produce it overseas. Uh, that's one of the challenges that you get with a steel and aluminum tariff is you suddenly make it cheaper to manufacture somewhere else and send the product in rather than send the raw materials in. There are some problems, and there are some countries that have cheated on steel and aluminum for a long time, China being a big one. And we've had a push on China and their steel for a very long time. Turkey has been a problem on steel for a very long time. There are several others that we've had a push and say, hey, you have unfair trade on this. Uh, but it has created a problem. Uh, the steel and aluminum tariffs also is what the president used this 232 to try to get Mexico and Canada to renegotiate the NAFTA deal. Uh, the NAFTA was negotiated and signed by Congress and President Clinton in the 1990s. Obviously, things like e-commerce weren't there. There were some agricultural issues that weren't there. Uh, so there are several problems that need to be renegotiated. But the, the, the leverage the president used was he was saying for steel and aluminum from Mexico and Canada, he's going to put big tariffs on them, make them come to the table and negotiate. Well, now they've negotiated. Now there's a new deal called the United States-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, USMCA, that replaces NAFTA. 
Well, that trade agreement, they used the the uh, the 232 steel aluminum tariffs to get everyone to negotiate. Now the president said, I'm not sure I'm going to take those tariffs off. I may leave them on. Well, of course, Canada and Mexico are now saying, there's no way I signed the final agreement until you take the steel aluminum tariffs off. That's what you use to get us to the table. You've got to drop them before we actually sign the agreement. And so there's a lot of back and forth right now. And in fact, the administration is now saying, well, maybe we'll shift to quotas. Uh, maybe we'll say not a bigger tariff, but we'll limit the amount of steel aluminum because they want to protect the steel uh, manufacturers here in the United States. And so they're saying quotas. And I've had some people say, what's the big deal in quotas? Sure, we'll just limit Canada and Mexico from how much steel they can send in and we'll protect our own company. The problem is if you're buying steel from Canada and Mexico, if there's not enough capacity, which there's not in the United States, there's not enough steel capacity here to be able to provide all of it. If you provide a quota, that means there's a limited amount that can be purchased from Canada and Mexico, which means you don't know when that's going to run out in a year. And if you're a manufacturer, you've got to buy all your steel like January, February, and just stick it in the yard and store it because you don't know if you're going to hit the quota at the end of the year. And automobile manufacturers in the U.S. has been a hot debate and topic among uh, in the USMCA discussion as well. A lot of people don't realize that uh, you know most of the big uh, auto manufacturers in the U.S., uh, you know, GMC, Ford, those folks, they import products, steel and aluminum specifically, from Canada, a, a military ally, by the way. And so when we increase the cost on those, we're actually increasing the cost it takes to make a, US, a car in the United States, which, uh, you know, could, could have an effect on sales if the cost uh, increases over time. So all these different downstream effects, you know, we're trying to communicate in a, in a reasonable way. Yep. I, I guarantee as well, if we have a quota, 100% guarantee this. There's going to be a Wall Street firm that's going to see that quota, and they're going to say there's a limited amount of product coming in. And so they're going to have some investor to be able to buy up as much steel as they can from Canada and Mexico. And they'll just stick it in the yard. I mean, they don't have to put it anywhere. This Wall Street firm will just buy it, put it in a yard somewhere, and store it and say, we have the limited amount of steel. And so now if you want it, you've got to now buy it from us. And uh, it'll become this whole way to be able to drive the price up, and it'll be profitable for the Wall Street firm. But for everybody else that does manufacturing, now they're having to fight with this Wall Street firm to go get the steel that they actually used to get from a Canadian firm that now they can't get, and American firms can't create enough. So when, when you hear people talk about quotas and quotas will solve it, that's the problem. Once you limit the amount that can actually come in, uh, then you've got a constant challenge. Now, there there are issues, and there are things that we do need to watch for. China is going to try to dump steel. Japan's going to try to dump cheap steel into Canada, have them remake it, and then try to send it into us. But we can monitor that and be able to track that without having to try to do a quota system on it. Or we can track basically where it was melted and, uh, and to be able to say uh, steel only counts from its place of origin, where it was actually melted down, and to be able to help track that in process as far as how we handle just our normal relationships. But if we start ending up into a big quota system and limit the amount that's moving through, we'll all regret it because the prices will continue to be able to go for just normal stuff that we buy uh, just based on the, the supply and demand side of it. That's the 232 most of that conversation's about Mexico and Canada and some with Europe, and you'll hear some of it on the cars and stuff like that. There's another number that's thrown out there, though, that's really China-related, and that is 301. So, Adam, what's a 301? Yeah, so these are uh, tariffs that were established under Section 301, so kind of like Section 232 of the previous Act. But Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974 allows the president to impose tariffs uh, on a foreign country under two situations. 
First one is if a foreign country violates a trade agreement. Second one is if uh, a, a foreign act of that country uh, unduly burdens or restricts U.S. commerce. Right, and that's the that's the one they were going after because we we don't have a trade agreement with China in the sense we're right. both partners in the World Trade Organization, but we don't have a ongoing trade agreement. Everything's kind of a it ebbs and flows, and you negotiate each product. There's not a larger trade deal like we have with Canada or Mexico or Central America or South uh, Korea. We have trade agreements with those folks. China, it's just unfair trade issues, and there's lots of them with China. Right. Uh, talk talk so, us through some of the issues with China. When the administration released its what is called its 301 report, which was last year before it in- instituted tariffs, it listed a number of problems with, with the Chinese market that I think everyone agrees with, Republicans, Democrats, the executive branch, Congress. Especially suppliers here in the United States. <laughs> so yeah. A lot of suppliers here. But China's got a long history of uh, forcing and coercing joint venture requirements, um, stealing our IP. Okay, what's what's IP? That's uh, intellectual property. Intellectual property. So yeah, yeah, if you invent it, you have what's called intellectual property. I own that. I have the patent on it. The Chinese, if you're going to produce a product there, they just steal it. They right. just take your intellectual property. So it's a property. value that the United States greatly protects and, and it intended to incentivize uh, innovation and creation in the marketplace. Uh, and China just doesn't value that as a country. And so Trump has rightly engaged to, to lean in on this situation and say, how do we get China to change? And the way that he's doing it is uh, is he's using tariffs again. Uh, and it's kind of funny on this. It's uh, there, There's the old joke that if you have a hammer in your hand, everything is a nail, everything. And uh, he has tariffs in his hand. And so he, he is pushing out on trade issues saying, I have tariffs. I have the ability to be able to put these national security tariffs, these 232s, or 301 tariffs, uh, if you're doing unfair trade practices, I'm going to put tariffs on you. Now, quite frankly, China has put tariffs on some of our products going into China for a long time. We haven't done that back. And the president said, hey, this is unfair. So why don't you feel what we feel for a while and have some of these tariffs? The, if the goal of the tariffs are to get China to the negotiating table, to get a trade agreement, to make sure that we can have fair trade, that's a great option. But if the goal of tariffs is just to have tariffs, that creates a trade war long term. And so there's this really fine line that the president's negotiating right now to try to figure out how to get everybody to the table to get things resolved without actually tripping us into a trade war long term. The 301 tariffs is a group of products. So the president first took two different sets, what they call lists, uh, these lists of products and said, if the product is made in China and it's coming into the United States, if it's on this list, then it's going to have a tariff on it. And then he took a second list and said, that's going to have it. And then he threatened a bigger list, a, a $200 billion list of products uh, that are manufactured in China and that are shipped into the United States. And said, initially, I'm going to do a 10% tariff, which he did on all $200 billion of that, what's called list three products. And then said later, I'm going to go to 25% if we don't solve this. Well, and that then, was back in December right, of last year. Right. We had that three-month delay on that. So we had January to March to hopefully reach a deal with China. Um, that didn't happen. And so, you know, here we are in May, just had an announcement last week that tariffs will finally go up to 25 percent on first. that uh, $200 billion worth of goods. So the, the way that this works on it is that he announces the list uh, and then you ha- hopefully have an opportunity for people to say, hey, wait a minute, that product is only manufactured in China. I would purchase it from somewhere else, but it's only made in this one spot. And so that's the only spot you can get it from. 
And so then you can ex- uh, apply for what's called an exclusion. Uh, you go through the process of actually applying with the United States Trade Representative's office. They go through all of it. They allow other companies to say, no, that's not true. It can be done somewhere else, and here's what it is. And other companies can argue about it. But at the end of it, if they look at it and go, yeah, that's right. That's the only spot. Then they're excluded. Then basically they don't have the tariff on them at all. The first two lists, now the United States Trade Representative is not used to doing this and has a very small staff. The first two lists was thousands of products. <clears throat> it took 10 months for the United States Trade Representative to be able to make a decision on the first two lists on that. Yep. And they're uh, still in the process of making yeah, those so, decisions. Some of them they still haven't made a decision on. And now it's, the, it, it's only good for a year. And so now it's time to renew it. And United States Trade Representative is saying, well, I'm not sure we're going to renew it. Basically, it's, this is so hard. I'm not sure we're even going to redo this. We're pushing them to say, you, you've got to allow an exclusion process. That, that's only fair uh, for companies. If there's only one place you can get it, you've got to be fair on it. You can't just put a big tariff on it because that hurts consumers at the end of the day. We all pay higher prices uh, because of that. And so we've got to have some exclusions. On the third list, I've been back and forth with the trade representative and with the president saying this new big list that's $200 billion worth of products that Americans will pay. And quite frankly, American companies pay the tariff on it because in companies like we have in Oklahoma, uh, it's a company that does the engineering, the design, the sales. Everything is done here in the United States, and then they'll just manufacture it in China, and then China is shipping it to us. So those companies actually pay the tariff, not the Chinese. Right. It's it's U.S. importers every time that pay that tariff. So, you know, you can break it down into sometimes, uh, you know, a Chinese exporter will eat the cost. Typically, though, at least when tariffs are announced suddenly, there is no time to react. And right. so a U.S. importer has to eat that cost or pass that on to the consumer. And eventually it does get passed on to the consumer right. with, with just a higher price. That's why tariffs are not a good idea long term. If you're right. just trying to negotiate it and to be able to get it around the table and get it resolved and get it resolved quickly, it may be an effective negotiation tool. But you don't want to keep tariffs on long term uh, because long term we'll all just have to pay more or we'll have fewer access to fewer products right. uh, at the end of the day. Now, companies are already looking, and I've talked to several different companies that do manufacturing in China and saying, we're just going to try to move manufacturing to Vietnam or we're going to try to move to other places in Asia. Uh, but they're, they're looking to get out of China at this point, and that's been interesting, but it's going to take years to do that. You can't just grab a factory and move it. So that's several years in the process. But in the meantime, we're trying to be able to work with the United States Trade Representative and say, while you're negotiating this, you've got to make sure you dedicate some of your staff to this exclusion process so that companies aren't hurt in the process and the American consumers not right. hurt in the process. The, the good news is List 1 and 2 had those processes in place when they were set up, when the tariff started. List 3 did not. And List 3, as we've talked about, was four times as large as List 1 and 2 combined. And that's why, Senator, you've been involved in this conversation since the very beginning. Back in really November, December timeframe, when these 25% tariffs were announced, you've been talking with Senate leadership, you've been talking with the president, with with Ambassador Lighthizer. Because of uh, a lot of your leadership and and some of your colleagues in Congress, we saw in the FY19 spending package a requirement that the administration set up an exclusion process, basically allowing U.S. companies who can't get their product anywhere else but China to, a, to a, uh, argue their case that USTR, that they right. need some temporary relief from this. So we and saw our, that. And our consumers need the relief. Absolutely. So long term, we've got to resolve this because, again, China's retaliating. They're saying they're going to cut off things like soybeans. They're going to cut off pork. They're going to cut off other products, or they're going to raise tariffs so high. We, we, it's just not economical uh, to be able to send there a- anymore. 
And so these issues all have to get resolved, and the faster we can get it resolved, the better. Now, we thought we were getting close. Uh, the, uh, our trade representatives in China had a list of 100 items that they said these are the problems dealing with trade, and they were working through those items. The first 75 they had done, and they said all these are agreed to, the first 75. Then they had 25 to go. I think they were down to the last five items of even that list, so they've gone through basically 95 items and, and resolved them. But right as they got to the last five, the Chinese came back and said, no, we want to renegotiate some of the others, and we're going to change some of the other things that were already decided. And President Trump basically came back and said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to do a 25% tariff on you if you're going to go back and try to start changing the deal. The hope is in the next couple of months, though, everybody can get to the table and to be able to get this resolved. In the meantime, we've got companies like Jasco in Oklahoma City. Uh, they produce a lot of the consumer electronics that we all use. You buy at Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or Target, all these different stores and lighting and LED lighting. We use these products. Now, they, they may not have Jasco on the name on it. It may say GE or Energizer or Philips or Honeywell or Disney or Marvel even uh, on the different lighting products. But those are really all produced by Jasco in Oklahoma City, just sold under other names, but they're manufactured in China. They've got now a 25% tariff. That means all that lighting is going to start going up in cost, not because GE and Honeywell or Jasco wants to see the price go up, the tariffs are going to cause the price to go up. Uh, we've got the the pork producers in Oklahoma will be some of the first people to step up and tell you. In fact, Roy Lee, who kind of leads some of the pork producer uh, coordination, has said that last year could have been a really great year for pork production, uh, but it wasn't because of all these retaliatory tariffs that were happening with China, Mexico, uh, especially, and uh, the different issues that were coming up. Uh, we got folks that do, do soybeans uh, in Oklahoma, and I've talked to several soybean farmers. And those folks know the, the dramatic effect of when China just cut off soybeans and said we're not going to do it, and then now is sporadically buying or not buying and negotiating it, what that's really doing to price. And our cotton farmers and wheat farmers have all seen the commodity prices really have a real impact based on what's happening in these Chinese negotiations. So at the end of the day, we have an incredibly thriving economy right now. What's happening in the tax policy changes, what's happening in the regulatory changes, what's happening in our economy has really caused the economy to accelerate. The one uncertain piece out there is this trade negotiation. And if the trade deal can get solved with Canada and Mexico, that's going to that's gonna mean signing the final deal. And these 232 tariffs have got to get resolved. Uh, the House of Representatives has to vote on it first. And I've got some folks that say, well, Nancy Pelosi's House may or may not take that up. But if we're going to get that trade deal done, she has to agree to it first. Then it comes to the Senate. Then it can be signed by the, the president. Uh, and with the Chinese tariffs, it's getting this list of 100 actually agreed to. And so we can move on. All these moving parts are out there, but they're all extremely important to Oklahoma and to be able to actually get our economy continue to grow, continue to have additional jobs. And quite frankly, as consumers, we don't pay more for our commodities. Uh, we don't pay more for the products that we buy. So th 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 this, though it seems like sometimes uh, trade is a distant issue, it's not. It affects our everyday life and is extremely important to us. Uh, folks may be interested to know that uh, Senator Coons, who's a Democratic senator from Delaware, he and I are working together uh, on a bill dealing with uh, these 301 tariffs and how do we get the exemption process and trying to be able to work this through because I think trade issues shouldn't be a partisan issue. Uh, we should all be focused on how, what are we doing to be able to help each other uh, in this process. And I remind folks all the time and I remind everybody in July in the last conversation we had about trade, we as Americans have always been free traders, always. Uh, one of our gripes in the Declaration of Independence with good King George III was that King George was blocking our trade with other nations. We wanted to trade with other countries and the British were blocking it at that time. 
we now uh, know that even before we were a country, we were free traders. We still want to be able to trade with other countries. We still see that as a benefit. And as many markets as we can open up, we want to be able to open up in the days ahead. Adam, you got any final statements? Any no. words of wisdom? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head at the end of there, sir. So this is being a free trade country is part of who we are. It's part of our DNA, and it's part of who Oklahomans are. Yeah, we, we do like buying stuff from other places, and we like selling stuff to other places. And uh, that that's not a bad way to continue to do business. So in, enjoy the conversation. Hopefully this has been helpful to try to explain some of the random numbers. Now when you hear 232s and 301s, you, you don't have to just nod anymore. Now you can go, yeah, I know completely what that is. You can amaze your friends with all of your trade insight knowledge now. And uh, we'll, we'll see if you can win a Jeopardy game at some point based on this breakdown. <laughs> so uh, look forward to the ongoing conversation. If you want to stay in contact with us, you can always call our Oklahoma or D.C. offices. Be glad to be able to talk through any questions you may have. You can reach us online at langford.senate.gov. That's G-O-V, langford.senate.gov or on social media on all the platforms at Senator Langford. Thanks for joining in the conversation. We'll see you on the next breakdown.